This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. While Satan may deceive even the elect, the story is not over. Yehovah still runs the universe, and while the enemy thinks he's won, the Almighty is leading him into the ultimate trap. Dr. Doug Hamp shares the secrets to understanding how the world's final battle plays out. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Tonight, Dr. Doug Hamp is gonna give us the scoop on the world's final battle. This is amazing stuff that is gonna blow your mind. So get ready for episode four of The Strong Delusion. This one is called The Ultimate Trap. Now, before we get to all of that excitement, let's take a look at our exciting new calendar. We're on the third Shabbat of the second month on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There you see it on your screen there. Now, to get things rolling, let's talk to my co-host, David Robinson. Hello, Scott. Thank you for having me. Certainly, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Just really busy, just like you. I just, yeah, we've been <laughs> going crazy. Yeah, that's, that's the nature of. I would May, rather be right? really busy. Than, than not. I know, right? Yeah, I'm now, not complaining. Uh, exactly. Now, uh, what's keeping us uh, busy is uh, we're working up to the summer here, mm -hmm. and often we have a, a shortfall. We, uh, we do. And we're trying to avoid that this year. We thought, you know what, why don't we let people know up, up front about what to watch out for? And what to watch out for is uh, the innate uh, practice in all of us that once we go on vacation, right. we forget about other things. Yeah. And one yeah. of the first things to get forgotten is uh, giving to a ministry. Giving to a ministry. And, and you know, we're all excited about our new understanding of the scripture. And and, and mm -hmm. learning about Torah. And so just remember that excitement you got when you were first coming into Torah. So this ministry's sole goal is to share Torah, to bring uh, believers to the, the Hebrew roots of their faith. So we need your help to do that. And Absolutely. in summertime, I understand everybody goes on vacation, but we still keep plugging away here and we're always trying to develop new ways of reaching people all over the world. So we definitely still need your help this summer. Indeed. And now we we're gonna talk about this in a minute. This is our new uh, love gift. Mm -hmm. uh, well, new, it's been, and we've been at it for 20 days now, but right. <laughs> we're gonna talk about it in a sec. But uh, one of the people, ways people can give, and you know how you can, uh, with your bills. You can right. set it and forget it and have it automatically come out. Absolutely. Well, the Ambassador Club mm -hmm. is a way to do that with folks. So right. uh, can you explain what the Ambassador Club is and how people can get involved? Well, uh, Ambassador Club are people that are giving every month or they can pay a yearly subscription to the Ambassador Club. And um, uh, the way that they can actually do that, that you're referring to, is actually texting, text to give. We had the oh, text okay. to give back in order. And uh, you can text 502-50155. Okay. And then in the message that you're gonna send to that number is ABC. Okay. So that stands for Ambassador Club. I know that took okay. me 10 weeks to figure out. So text ABC <laughs> to 50155. 50155, and when you do that and hit send, then it's gonna ask you, uh, please enter the amount that you would like to donate, and it would be donated to the Ambassador Club. Okay. So the other way that you can give is to still text to the same number, 50155. If you, don't wanna, if you just wanna give to the general fund of the ministry, uh, you can type in truth, 
and hit send. Oh, okay. And then it'll ask you the same thing. Please uh, enter how much money you would like to donate to. Okay, very good. But so it just text, makes it easier. Yeah, so text to give is a way to do that. And also, Absolutely. if people want to just do it the uh, the old school way, right. they can contact Angie at the ministry to do that, right? Contact, talk to Angie. Uh, if Angie's busy, Avia will be able to help you with your request. Yeah, we have okay. plenty of staff to help. All right, very good. All right. And uh, if people want to give to the uh, Aviv Fellowships, is there a way to do that as well? Well, we're working on that. Oh, so okay, hopefully hopefully that'll be in place here uh, before long. Okay, very good. All right. So uh, something else you're involved here with the ministry is uh, helping to find our love gifts yeah. that we like to uh, to give out to folks to say thank you for supporting the ministry. And this month, uh, someone who also gave is uh, Bill Cloud. Now, Bill gave us this teaching called The Babylonian Mindset. I just want to read the back of it to you. In the book of the Revelation, we are warned against being loose lukewarm, but it's not for lack of being hot or cold, which I always thought is just right. sort of like tepid water, you know, so mm-hmm. what? But it's a warning against being mixed. Right. That's the warning. It's not lack of hot or cold. It's two of them together. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Once you understand that, it makes a whole lot more sense. So using the example of the Babylonian captivity, Bill Cloud in this teaching poses an important question. Will we go along with the rest of the group or will we trust in Yehovah like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did even when faced with something like a fiery furnace? Good question in this day question. and age because yeah. there's a lot of tests going on and I fear some people are going to only realize it after they made the decision go, what did I do? Yeah, and, and you just said that in the scripture or in the introduction, you said that if, the scripture says, if if possible, the uh, even the elect will be deceived. Not that all the elect will be deceived, right. but if right. possible. And so we're in, we're in a time right now where you're you're seeing uh, evil ramped up more than ever before. You're seeing the where the scripture says good will be called evil and evil will be called good. We're in that day right now. And so you you have to be strong in your faith. You have to be plugged into community mm-hmm. and, uh, and and stand strong. And it's, it's it's getting tough. You know, it's funny how all those things are connected. Uh, being in community and uh, standing strong, uh, we need to rely on each other. You know, we talked That's about right. this whole prepping thing with the Revelation preparation preparation a little while back. And it seems that Yehovah brings us people as we need to be talking about certain things. Right. And He brought us those people, and all of a sudden now people are saying, "Hey, I, I wanted to hear about stuff That's like right. that." That's right. It was very very uh, popular. You know, sharing that information, the people that we had on, and um, yeah, we have to be prepped together. Uh, God doesn't want you to be uh, on your own mountain by yourself. No. We need to be community. That's very you important. You know, for the last three weeks, we had Trey Sprinkle here, and he was talking about how things are going on in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And as we were planning those, uh, what we were going to talk about, I asked Trey, I said, you know, what do you see in Ukraine? You've been there. Obviously, this is kind of a worst-case scenario. We look at that and go, gosh, what if that was downtown, wherever we Why live? Why couldn't right? it be? Why couldn't it be? Right. So... If we're in that situation, I asked him, I said, you know, these are people who live in kind of a, a first world country. They've got TVs and television mm-hmm. you know, or cars, just like we do, everything. So he, I said, you know, what lesson can we learn from Ukraine? And he said that when people get together, it's, you know, those people who are off on their own, and there were some people that did that, they were easy picking for their enemy. Absolutely. And he says, if you get, though, a group of people together, even if you don't agree on everything, if you can just say, hey, you know what? Our idea here is to survive. Let's all have each other's backs, even if we disagree on certain things. Who cares? Mm-hmm. There's an enemy coming at us. He says, if you, if, when he saw communities of people like that who kind of got together in shelters or wherever it was, mm-hmm. but there was two or 300 of them that all had the same idea. Yeah. The enemy wouldn't come after them. No. Because there would be a fight that wasn't worth it. Right, exactly. There would be a lot of resistance. And, you know, and Torah was never meant to be lived out by yourself. 
it was meant for community. Right. And so the same thing in prepping, you know, we're, we're to be together as a community. Exactly. Scripture teaches us that. Yeah, now speaking of mindset, so let's get back to this thing. So yep. this is your gift with a, uh, a gift of $50 or more to the ministry. Uh, so we will give you the Babylonian Mindset by Bill Cloud. That is for $50 or more. For $100 or more, you will get this and this awesome cup, which David found. I don't yeah. know where you found this thing, yeah. but this is great. <laughs> this is the entire alphabet in Hebrew, or as some folks like to call it, the Aleph-Bet. Yeah, because Aleph-Bet. the first two letters in Hebrew are Aleph and Bet. Uh, so it gives you all of the letters, uh, plus their uh, transliterated English, how you would say it, for example, Dalit, Zion, Yod, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And also their, uh, their English letter equivalents. And so you can, this is just a fun cup to have. And this is your gift with this along uh, for a gift of $100 to the ministry. Just a way of Michael to say thank you. And yeah. thank you to Bill Cloud who provided this, by the way. Mm-hmm. And for a gift of $300 or more, David, you found these things. What are we these having fun with here? These are uh, olive wood candle holders. Uh, actually, they come from Israel. It's mm-hmm. made out of olive wood in Israel. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. so, and as you can see on it, it says Shabbat, Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Very good. And that is a gift for $300 yes. more. All right. Well, we'll let the commercial do the rest of the talking. You'll see that in just a second. <laughs> so while Satan deceives possibly even the elect, if that's possible, the story is not over. Yehovah still runs the universe. And while the enemy thinks he's won, the, <laughs> the Almighty is leading him into the ultimate trap. So Dr. Doug Hamp will share with us the secret to understanding how the world's final battle plays out. That is coming up next. But first, it's my Michael with the Kiddush. In the book of the Revelation, we are warned against being lukewarm. But lukewarm is not a lack of being hot or cold. It's about being mixed. It's about having a Babylonian mindset. Let's be careful in this day and time not to allow ourselves to be conditioned by the Babylonian mindset that is gonna offer what looks good, Mm -hmm. makes sense, it might save my life, but if I'm seeking to save my life, I might lose it. The Babylonian Mindset with Bill Cloud is a sobering, poignant challenge for our times. But this exclusive teaching is not for sale, and it's not on YouTube. The only way to watch it is to receive it as a thank you gift from Michael Rood. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you The Babylonian Mindset with Bill Cloud on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you The Babylonian Mindset plus a Hebrew Alphabet coffee mug featuring all Hebrew letters with their English equivalents and pronunciations. Or with a donation of $300, we'll send you The Babylonian Mindset, The Hebrew Alphabet coffee mug, plus a pair of candle holders made from olive wood from Israel, etched with the words Shabbat Shalom in Hebrew. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. These special gift collections featuring Bill Cloud are available only in May and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts, 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. If you like what you see on Shabbat Night Live, you'll love the bonus episodes. Now available only on the michaelrood.tv app. These bonus episodes dive deep to give you more serious study, 
cutting-edge content and righteous raves you won't find anywhere else. It's Michael Rood Uncut. Sign up now to get the MichaelRood.tv app free for 14 days. It's everything Michael Rood plus all new bonus episodes you won't find anywhere else. Sign up to watch now at MichaelRood.tv. On Friday, the sixth day of the week, the markets in Jerusalem are filled with challah that is done differently than it is any other day of the week. On that day, the challah is covered with honey and it is covered with raisins because it is a shadow picture of when the Messiah reigns upon the earth in the Sabbath day or the Sabbath millennium when life on earth will be sweet. Yeshua, the last night, that he had with his disciples before his crucifixion, he took bread and he blessed the Most High. And he said, Baruch atah Yehovah Eloheinu melech ha'olam, homotzi lechem min ha'aretz. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he said, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so the sanctification of the Sabbath, the Kiddush that we do, sets apart this day and sets apart this very thing that we had rehearsed from the time that Yeshua gave this to his disciples. And then Yeshua blessed the Most High with this blessing that Melech Zadik said to Abraham when he blessed the Most High. Baruch atah Yehovah Elohim Malach HaOlam Berei Pri HaGafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, the King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this represents the renewed covenant paid for in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. With that, we do exhibit the Lord's death and what he paid for our redemption until he comes. In this world, there's always two sides of things, the haves, the have-nots, you know, the how that goes. So my son is getting his first debit card or prepaid credit card. Why? Because he wants to build credit. He wants to build up a credit score because one day he wants to invest in real estate. And he sees his score going up and down, then he gets depressed and he goes up again. And it fluctuates wildly because he only has one account that the, uh, that the uh, companies can go by to, to establish his credit score. And so this brings to mind something that is coming our way that we see in China right now, which is the social credit score. What is this going to mean? Who's going to be the haves? Who's going to be the have-nots? What are we going to be able to do with some social credit? What are we going to be able to not do without social credit? So Dr. Douglas Hamm, thank you for joining us again on Shabbat Night Live. We're talking about these things and others uh, that are coming our way uh, as to what camp we are gonna find ourselves in in the end. Right, you know, I, I think something that as Americans, we have trouble understanding and appreciating the social credit system because we're very individualist, individualistic here. Uh, but in China, things are much more of what's kind of good for the community, right? So, so first of all, just to explain what the social credit system is over there and then why people like it, all right? So what it is is um, it's like a FICA score, right? So. You know, if, if I want to buy a house and I need someone to lend me money and the score says, 
you're a trustworthy person, you're going to repay, repay this loan. That's what the bank wants to know. Okay, that's ultimately it. And, and that's based on, do I pay my credit cards on time? Do I pay my uh, car payment on time, my house payment? Um, and then, you know, have I been trustworthy, essentially? The, the social credit system in China is like that, but it's not just based on my transactions. But do I go visit my uh, sick grandmother who's in the hospital? Uh, mm-hmm. Do I jaywalk occasionally? All right. Uh, do, I, do I speed? Uh, have I been a, a bad neighbor or a good neighbor? And so all these things are factored in to uh, whether I'm a good person or not, right? And so then that comes out in a score, I think it goes up to like 12 or 1300. And, um, and so people now are really are fixated on this. And a lot of people in China believe it's a really great thing. And you know, I understand where they're coming from. Look, if you're constantly jaywalking and you're, you're not being a good citizen, you're littering all over the place, well, you deserve a bad credit score, right? And so the idea is that this can help us as a society all be better members of our society. And those that keep breaking the rules, well, now we're going to be able to track them and to give them a lower score based on that idea. So on the one hand, I get it, okay? But also understand that how do they get all this information? They have cameras everywhere. They're constantly monitoring what people are doing, right? And so let's take, for example, somebody who does not agree with the communist government and they are critical and they start writing articles about them. Well, guess what? They say, we know what you've been doing. You've been writing these articles against us. And so now we can lower your score and we can even make it possible so that you cannot get on uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. You know, you can't get tickets to various places. You can't do certain things because you've been a bad citizen. Hmm. So now imagine in the scenario that we've been talking about with the mark of the beast, right? And so we're saying that after somebody undergoes this, this genetic transformation, that this little growth or scar happens either on their forehead or on the back of their hand, that if you just put a few lines of code in the software to look for that, now they, when they do facial recognition, they can see, oh, you don't have this. And so then that can lower your credit score and that can deny you access to various things, right? So it's not just that somebody's at the door saying, where's your mark of the beast? But the, all the cameras that could easily be put in place um, could just simply track you and say, well, you don't have it. And you may say, well, that's China. That's never going to happen here in the West. Well, guess what? Who has more cameras than China per, per capita? England. Mm. <laughs> okay. So England has more cameras per capita than China does. Right? So they're already doing this, and it's very effective. It helps them to fight crime and do all kinds of stuff. So again, there's so many reasons to do it, but of course then there's a reason why not to do it. Right? And so I think that the social credit system is a, a system that could easily be implemented in this same idea. And again, when we have a global threat, we now have to have a global solution, a global response to account for this. Right? And you just take something that's been tested in one country and you just simply expand it to the rest of the world. It wouldn't take that much to really get there. Right. Hmm. Makes sense. So now let's go to chapter 13 of your book. Uh, death of those siding with the invaders. So remind us who the invaders are and who would side with them. Okay. So remember they want to be killed. <laughs> exactly. So we've been talking about flipping the narrative, right? Yeah. So the good guys are the bad guys. The bad guys are the good guys. All right. So who are the good guys? Well, Jesus and all who 
have allegiance to him. The bad guy is Satan and all who have allegiance to him. Okay, so our script is flipped. We talked about how, um, you know, for a very long time, we've had the sightings of aliens or, or UFOs at least, right? And those are really the bad guys and how we understand it. That's Satan and his crew. But the world has generally accepted them as being kind of good guys, or they seem like maybe good guys. We're not entirely sure yet, but they don't seem hostile, at least that, okay? And so then when the two witnesses come, who are obviously on God's team, but then they're gonna be deemed as the bad guys. They're the bad aliens that we don't like. So again, the, the script is flipped. And so now the world's gonna go out and gonna search out Satan and those who are posing as good aliens and saying, please come and help us and get rid of these guys. Hmm. All right, so all of this happens. People have now upgraded. They've taken the mark of the beast. They're getting ready for this, this uh, war that's gonna happen on planet Earth from this hostile alien force that's coming. But what about people that say, I don't wanna be part of that. I actually believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think he's the way to go, and I believe in Yeshua, and I don't wanna be part of this thing. I don't wanna take this upgrade. Well, they're gonna be seen as a pariah. They're gonna be seen as somebody who is unwanted, they're some kind of a Luddite. They're not willing to upgrade to the latest technology. They believe some, some silly fables or myths. Um, and, and somehow they are on the same side as those who are coming to invade. Mm. Well, I mean, this is, becomes a no-brainer, right? And sadly, sadly, here in America, we had the Japanese internment camps in World War II. Now, I don't think that should ever should have happened, but it did, okay? It happened. So because of that, because you had Japanese Americans who were very American, but because they seemed like a threat, what happened? They interred them, right? Because, well, we can't trust you guys. Maybe you're gonna hang out with the, the Japanese nationalists and you're really gonna stab us in the back. It's not hard to imagine these scenarios, right? right. So now you have a thing where people are not willing to get the upgrade. They now seem like they're probably less than human because we've raised the bar of what human is. And it's just a matter of we have to get rid of them, right? So now when it talks about those who are gonna be decapitated because they did not take the mark of the beast, according to Revelation chapter 20, you can see how there's incredible logic and rationale for why this happens. It's not just a, a wholesale slaughter of people because they hate this group of people, but now there's a massive distrust um, you're working with the enemy. Uh, you are a threat to me personally, right? And, and so, you know, it, again, it wouldn't, it wouldn't take much to imagine why and how they would need to get rid of these people. But I think there could be something else as well. Okay. And I've, I've been, you know, asking myself this question, why beheading? I mean, that seems like, why, why go to all that effort? Well, we talked about how the two witnesses are gonna come and they are going to ins probably inspire people they're gonna inspire Christians to start taking their faith seriously. This isn't just something that I believe and I go to church once a week and I throw in 20 bucks, but this is transformative, right? There's mm -hmm. something about this. And you see two guys who are doing radical miracles. Well, maybe, maybe God's calling the rest of us to kind of up our game, you know? And maybe we could and we should. So I suspect, I can't prove this, but I suspect that as people become emboldened because they see what the two witnesses are doing, when the executions start happening, because people won't take the mark of the beast, this is my prediction, okay, I could be wrong, but 
I think that we could see people being resurrected in the name of Jesus. Okay. Mm. So, so the, the way to kill somebody and make sure they stay dead is to take off the head. Right. Okay. How can you live without a head? It's hard to put that one back on, right? You know, <laughs> if someone dies, you know, I put lay hands on them and, and they come back to life. But if they've lost their head, that's probably quite difficult to do that. Okay. <laughs> so, so that would be my suggestion as to why Satan mm. will go to that length is to kill them and make sure they stay dead. Okay. Because mm. <laughs> it's hard to bring them back in that case. <laughs> Makes sense. Okay. All right. So we have that. And then we also have this, you know, where people might say, well, that sounds like all hell breaking loose. And we actually have this thing called the gates of hell that Yeshua went to at one point. And now we have uh, this threat of opening up the abyss in the end time. So could you tell us to take us to that place where Yeshua went and what it literally is? And then we'll get into this, uh, the abyss. Absolutely. Yeah. So Jesus did something that no rabbi should have ever done. No respectable rabbi. He took his disciples basically to to you know the strip in Las Vegas, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you know so he takes them to Caesarea Philippi, which is where the gates of Hades were located. It's right? an actual place. This is it's an actual place. It's called the Cave of Pan, right? So there was a cave there, and this was thought to be some kind of a portal down to to the abyss. So it was like a like a legend or something, or what was this? Well, I mean, there was a an underground aquifer that. You know, had water coming up all the, all the time, and as much they tried to throw things down, and they tried to measure it, but they could never get down to the bottom of this thing. Ah. All right, so th this was understood sort of from a, a geological point of view as the gates of Hades, but also very much from a spiritual understanding, right? And from a very long time before that, and I and I went into all kinds of detail in Corrupting Image Volume Two. Ah, okay. I, I talked about the 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 land of Bashan. Okay, so the word Bashan comes from the Akkadian Bashmu, which means snake dragon. Uh, it was one of the many epithets that Satan had, right? So we talked about Enlil, Nergal, right? But he was known as basically the king of death. And uh, and so at the at the base here is Mount uh, is the uh, Caesarea Philippi, the gates of Hades. But just up the mountain, that's also known as Mount Bashan or Mount Hermon, and that was the place where Jesus took his disciples, and he said. Or he, you know, he transfigured before them. Moses oh, okay. and Elijah show up. So this is all happening right there. And when I went when I went back into the ancient literature, I mean, it just my mind kept getting blown because uh, in Ugaritic literature around 1400 BC, they understood that Mount Hermon was the headquarters of some deified dead king hmm. known as Melech something or other. Okay, which means king. Uh, we also have the word Molech, right? So that's the same same idea. And it was the king of death. And they also understood that this king of death also had headquarters at Edrei and Ashtoret, which is the Bible tells us that King Og was in that very place. Okay. So there's so many connections. And the first century apocalyptists believed, the, the Jewish apocalyptists, they believed that at any moment, the gates of Hades, these, these spiritual doors are going to open. And this great horde of demons was going to come flying out with arrows shooting. Right? That's what they believed was going to happen. Hmm. And I think that was actually on the docket. I think that's what Satan had in store. But, and then Jesus comes and says, the gates of Hades will not prevail. And I think what he did is he put the kibosh on that. He's like, you're not opening today. Hmm. right? But we know that they will open, according to Revelation chapter 9, 
that it says that the king of the underworld or the king that's going to this fallen star, which I would argue is Satan, he's going to come and he's going to have the keys to the abyss and he's going to open it up and really scary looking creatures hmm. are going to come out of that. Okay, so these, these scary looking creatures, I mean, again, my mind was blown. Uh, we talked about this a little bit in Corrupting Image Volume 2. But in, in, in volume three, I, I you know, just kind of put it all together. So this, this king of the underworld, or the abyss, or Sheol, he was known, he had various names. He was known as uh, Nergal, Pabilsag, uh, other names as well. But from an inscription from around 1200 BC, uh, this is called a Kaduru stone. And they show what the god Nergal looks like. Looks like right? And so he, he's kind of a... Um, a centaur type body. He's got, he's a composite between a horse, a lion, an eagle. He's got eagle's wings. Mm -hmm. He has a scorpion's tail. He's got a serpent head phallus, which is kind of weird. And then he's got two heads. He has a man's head and a lion's head. And when you look at the description in Revelation chapter nine, there's kind of like 9a and 9b. You have to compare them and contrast them and then superimpose them. And what you see is exactly this creature hmm. that, the, that is described in Revelation chapter 9, right? The, Revelation 9 and, and Nergal on the Kaduro stone are one and the same. Hmm. Wow. And the Bible says, Revelation 9 says that 200 million of these things are going to come out of the abyss. 200 million. Just one would be enough. I think. <laughs> 200 million. That's I would think. But, you know, these are essentially um, Satan's elite forces. So he's going to have this, this army that he's building, right? He's building the ones that take the mark of the beast, right? So we'll call those hybrids. They're going to have, be of one mind, right? So now he has a, a collective super organism that he can use that are, that are human-based. But then he also has this other army of these manticores or nergal or whatever we want to call it that, that are coming out, this 200 million Right, these obviously are very powerful. They have stingers, they have wings, they can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Has a bow and arrow in his hand, so he's obviously armed with something. Exactly, a bow and arrow, right? And this is what we're told is going to come out of the abyss. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of shocking to say the least of what is going to be coming out of the abyss. And so I would say that Jesus, knowing full well what Satan had in mind, knowing what was down there, Back in, back in his day, he said, nope, you're not going to open today. Hmm. But in the age, well, in, in the near future, I don't know when exactly, but obviously this is what is going to come out of the abyss. And that is going to be scary. But Satan is going to use those as part of his, uh, part of, part of his warcraft. Okay. Hmm. So in Isaiah chapter 34, it talks about how Jesus or you know, God's sword is going to be bathed in heaven. And that blood is going to splatter to the ground. And it's like, wait a second, who is he fighting in the heavens, right? I, I, I think he's actually going to be fighting against these manticore creatures. Uh, that they are going to be <clears throat> fleshly in some sort, right? Uh, however that works out. But they're going to be part of the army that's going to try to keep Jesus from, keep, from coming back. So this is on the other side of the veil. This is in the yes. other dimension this is happening. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, no, no, because, okay, so 
when the, when the abyss opens, they're going to come into this realm, into ah. this dimension. Okay. And when Jesus comes back, we're told that the, the veil between heaven and earth is going to go away. Okay. The, the sky is going to recede like a scroll. That's the veil that's actually going away. Okay, gotcha. So this, this is then after Yeshua's return, there's the... The, 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 the final the, the battle. Yes. Oh, okay, yeah. wow. It's all part of that sequence. You know, what's funny about this is that, um, you know, God is in charge. You know, we, it's sort of like that. Remember that movie, uh, Now You See Me? Uh-huh. It was about the, uh, this magician who taught others his craft and they went around and they did all these crazy things to uh, execute justice in their, their own way. And they were, they, they were being led down sort of a, a path or a way of doing things. And in the end, they discovered the whole thing they were doing was orchestrated. They were being manipulated by the whole guy who created the, their system in the first place. That's just sort of a roundabout way of explaining all that. So... God is really in charge here. He's, he's letting things happen, yep. but he knows how this ends. He sure does. <laughs> and, you know, that was a question I kept pondering is, you know, basically the, the, the beast, Satan, has acquired the whole world, right? He's got everybody taking the mark. Well, a lot of people, not everybody. Um, some will not take it, but pretty much he's got the whole world. And so then it just begged the question, why would he go to Jerusalem? What is there about Jerusalem? We know he's going to come to Jerusalem because it tells us very clearly that, um, that he will um, have all the armies of the world come against, against Jerusalem. Mm. But why, right? It just it kept bothering me. So hold that thought. Yes. Why Jerusalem? Okay. We're going to come back in a second. Okay, so we're going to come back in a sec. Thank you for watching. Hey. Get Doug's book, Corrupting the Image, Part 3. You can get Parts 1 and 2 as well at douglashamp.com. You can also get them on Amazon. Now, Part 3, you can only get PDF version on douglashamp.com, but you can get all three books at Amazon, correct? Correct. Okay, just look up Corrupting the Image. You will find them there, and you'll probably find them at the top of the list because everybody is getting their hands on these, so you make sure you do that too. Can I ask you to do one other, th- one other thing? Uh, support Shabbat Night Live. With your support, we can bring... Dr. Doug here, we can bring other guests here, and we can ensure that other folks get to see what you are seeing today because someone donated to make sure that you saw it today. So thank you for that in advance. We'll see you back here in a couple minutes. And thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. We now get to the main event, the big climax of the story. Yeshua, God, is leading the enemy to Jerusalem. But Dr. Doug Hamp, why Jerusalem? Why does it have to be in Jerusalem? Right. Well, you know, when you start looking at the structure of a, of a story, you get to that, that climactic point where everything seems lost, right? It's called mm-hmm. the all is lost moment, right? It seems like the, the bad guy is going to win. Uh, for Star Wars fans, this would be uh, at the end of The Empire Strikes Back, right? Darth Vader won. Uh, the rebels have lost. You know, what are we going to do, right? right. That, that's that really scary moment. And, and this, this is how this whole thing is playing out, hmm. is that... Basically, Satan has the world in his hands, right? He's blaspheming God and those who dwell in heaven. Why? Because the world gave him his authority. People are taking the mark of the beast. They've made a covenant with death and shell. This is a really bad moment, okay? And it looks like he has absolutely won. Uh, You know, for Lord of the Rings fans, this is where Sauron wins, okay? Mm -hmm. You're like, oh no, right? (laughs) What what is going to happen? this seems like a really bad, bad idea, right? But we have to understand that God is working, right? It looks like Satan is winning, but God is allowing Satan to do various things by his own free will. Satan is choosing to do things, but God's like, okay, that's fine. Just keep doing that. Yeah, keep doing that. 
I've got a plan too, right? And I can see a zillion years into the future beyond, and you can only see this far, part, you know? And, and so where Satan is thinking that he's playing five-dimensional chess, well, good job, Satan. God's playing 10-dimensional chess, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Right. So there's no contest between the two, and mm. even though it looks like all is lost, God is leading Satan into a trap. Mm. That's what's so amazing. Now, just a, just a really quick um, explanation so people understand. Um, I see that, that Gog and, um, and the beast are exactly the same individual. And we're gonna get more okay. into that in a love yeah. gift. We're gonna yes. go really deep into Gog because you told me there's a whole lot there. Right? There is a ton. Okay, well, anyway, a ton. so yes. Yeah. So, so, but just for simplicity, they're the same event, the Battle of Armageddon and the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle, they're the same thing, mm. okay? So God tells us that he, he's gonna put a hook in the jaw of Gog, right? And, and I started thinking, well, that's really interesting, right? Because God is leading Satan along. He's gonna put a hook in his jaw and bring him to Jerusalem, right? Again, hmm. a lot of times this scripture tells us what, but not always why, and you have to sort of, you gotta, you gotta tease that out of the text. You're like, oh, I see it now where it's not on the surface, but it's in all the details and you start to see this bigger picture. God is leading Satan into a trap. And the trap is actually in Jerusalem. Hmm. Um, so, but we have to understand some things before we get there, right? And, and what's so amazing about this is that, you know, going back to after World War II, and I'll, of course, go here to Ezekiel 38. And this is on page 212 of your book, right? Yeah, okay. so in the latter years, you will go against the land that is restored from war. That's Shovevet Mechelev, okay? So returned from the sword, brought back from the sword. The land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste, its people were brought back, brought out from the peoples. All right, if this doesn't describe the situation of the Jews who went through the Holocaust. I just don't know what could possibly be. First of all, we understand that, Jeru that the whole area of Israel had been a continual waste. Ever since the people were taken out in around 135 AD, it had been a continual waste. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we think that what happened in 70 AD was, was the final straw that, that uh, you know, that the final episode that the Jews had to go through, not at all. Right, Though that was very bad and some were taken away, a lot stayed in the land, they continued to do well, they regrouped, and then there was a second Jewish revolt. That's known as the Bar Kokhba revolt. Mm. All right, So that happened between 132 and 135 AD. And Caesar Hadrian was so upset that they revolted again that he said that anybody who is, any Jew who's caught in Jerusalem will be killed. He salted the land. He changed the name to Palestina, right? He changed the name of Jerusalem to Elio Capitolina. And that is really the, the, the beginning of the demise of the, of the Jews in the land of Israel. And that was also the beginning of the death of the Hebrew language as a mother tongue. Was, so by hmm. 200 AD, really the language had died out as a mother tongue. So this is a huge, huge thing that happened here. So from, from really, let's say, 135 AD 
until 1948, you had almost no Jews living in the land. Not entirely, but almost. Now, now I remember, just to your point, I remember seeing photos and commentary from Mark Twain. Yes. Who went there and just basically said, why would anybody come here? This is just a dump. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, not only that, but we also have, um, you had, um, it was, uh, I think it was Rambam, I think it was, if I remember correctly, who in around 1000, he went there and he wanted to have, form a minion, to form a minion, you need at least 10 other Jews, men, so that you can pray together. And he couldn't even find them, right? He went there and he said it was a continual waste, uh, as did Mark Twain later. But this tells you that, that this was actually, I mean, for the whole time, it was basically just a wasteland. Hmm. And he said, actually, take courage in this, because this just shows us that the land will not accept our enemies, Right? Ah. So God is basically holding the land for us, right? You know, and people that try to live there don't do well, they don't thrive. And of course, that all changed in 1948. Right. Slowly, but then again, surely it really did happen. Uh, Mark Twain said that Palestine sits in sackcloth and ashes, a spell of curse that has withered its fields and fettered its energies. Palestine is desolate and unlovely. It is a hopeless, dreary, heartbroken land. Right. I didn't realize it was in your book. I'd forgotten that was in your yeah. book, actually. Yeah. Okay. And I, sorry. So it was actually Nachmanides, or you know, Rabbi Moses ben Nachman. So ah, okay. Not Maimonides, but Nachman. Excuse me. Uh, you know, he he traveled there. Eleven ninety four to twelve seventy was his time. So a little bit off there. But he was saying how that many are Israel's forsaken places, the, and great is the des- desecration. The more sacred the place the greater the devastation it has suffered. Jerusalem Mm. is the most desolate place of all. Wow. All right, so we have this on incredible record that that the whole area was just desolate, right? So then in in Ezekiel, he says that he's gonna bring back a people brought back from the sword, which World War II has been the greatest sword the world has ever seen. And the Holocaust has been the greatest single most sword against a people the world has ever seen, right? With the intention of utterly destroying them. I mean, you just can't get any more sword-like than that. Right. Okay. And so when we understand that this is what was prophesied, that he would bring these people back from the sword. So that starts really kind of our clock in 1938. That's a, that's a big deal, right? So, so the whole thing of the end times could not happen until this event. Hmm. That's why that's so exciting, right? Uh, We're not excited about what happened, but we're excited about what the return of the Jewish people, it's not not the end of it, but it's the beginning, okay? It's the beginning of it. And so all this is happening, but if you go to Israel today, you'll find there are tremendous amount of secular people. They're like, yeah, God, maybe, yeah, whatever. They're either agnostic, uh, perhaps they're atheists, or like, well, if God exists, Whatever, you know. Um, so God still is working in the hearts of the people there. And he, he's going to do it in such a way that they will finally come to the place where they want to, um, they want to, um, they're going to finally understand who God is. Okay. So in Hosea chapter five, it talks about how God says that I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their offense, hmm. right? Now, again, I want to make this very clear that there are many, many, many Jews who have accepted Jesus as their Savior. Even in the first century, when, when 
uh, Paul came back to town and is talking with James, and he says, look, at there are myriads who believe in Yeshua and are zealous for the Torah, Torah. right? So it's not like you haven't had Jewish believers. There have been lots of them. But here's the important thing, is the leadership of Jerusalem, the ones who make the decisions, right? So, you know, we're all kind of your average American, and we can, we can like a policy or hate a policy, but it doesn't really matter, right? It's what the people in Washington, D.C. are deciding. That's what steers our country. And as far as the, it was the leadership of Jerusalem who said no to Jesus. And he made a promise. He said, you will not see my face again until you say, Baruch until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, until you welcome him, until they welcome him, the leadership, the official decision as a nation, when they officially recognize him, then he will come back and not a day sooner. Now, I asked you uh, at, at a lunch we went to, I said, well, okay, because we discussed this. And I said, okay, well, does that mean the people who are the prime minister uh, and, and the president of, of, of Israel, uh, or, or, is it, uh, or is it the Knesset? Or not, not the Knesset, sorry. Or, or is it the... Um, Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, yeah, right. the, the religious leaders. Because in Israel, it's kind of like, which one is more powerful, right? So right. who is it? Who, who has to decide this thing? Right. Well, I would suggest it's the people that actually have the power. But if you look at the makeup of the Knesset today, you have a lot of uh, Knesset members who are also religious, mm-hmm. right? So you could have people who are sitting on both the Knesset, which is just a secular institution, but also are part of the Sanhedrin. And of course, things can change. It could be that there's maybe some kind of a blending or however that works, but there has to be an official decree by the governing body, the same corpus of people that rejected Jesus earlier. It has to be that same body that's Mm. going to accept him in the future, right? So whether that's the Knesset or the Sanhedrin still remains to be seen, but I think it will probably be some kind of a blending of the two. Well, we look at Yeshua's time. So you had Pilate, who was in charge of the country, but you also had uh, the Sanhedrin that he went in front of, right? And then he also had King Herod. And then it's like, well, okay, well. Right. They all had, they all had to reject They it. all had a part in it. Yeah. Right. Okay. But it was the official leadership of Jerusalem. Because remember when Jesus came in on what we call Palm Sunday, right? What were the masses saying? They were saying, Baruch HaBabe Shem Adonai. Ah, right? yes. They were accepting him. They acknowledged him as the Mashiach. They were saying those very words in, in, in uh, fulfillment of Psalm 118. But then it was the leaders who, uh, who rejected the stone which became the chief cornerstone. Mm. Right? And Jesus put that in their face, as did Peter. Right? In Acts chapter 4, he said, you builders have rejected the chief cornerstone. Mm. Right? So he's laying it on them, you guys. And he's talking very much to the leadership of Jerusalem. You guys rejected this stone. Mm. And he's now the chief cornerstone. I told you I had a good joke about this, the chief cornerstone. From my, I'm from Canada, and so I lived in a place where we had a lot of uh, what they call First Nations Canadians. So these are the, the Native Canadians, as we have Native Americans here. And they have a, a, a great joke, that the believers there, and they say, do you know that Yeshua was uh, a, a Native, he was a First Nations person? And you say, oh, how do you know? He says, because he was chief cornerstone. Chief cornerstone. <laughs> they love to tell that. That's, <laughs> that's a good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... So basically, this whole, the whole scenario is that this is all the backdrop, right? And so 
when, when Satan, um, when, when God puts the hook in his jaw to bring him to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. he thinks that he's going to finally snuff out the last vestige of the people that are known as people of the book or people of, the, of you know, God's uh, covenant, and he's gonna try to snuff them out. Uh, there, there could be other, you know, other factors that go into that, but he'll have his reasons for doing this. But God has his reasons for doing that. And it's a hook in the jaw. He doesn't realize what he's actually stumbling into, but it's a trap. Aha. It is a trap. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to culminate in the Battle of Armageddon. I mean, it's just so incredible, right? So, but here's the thing. Jesus is not coming back. Yeshua is not coming back until he hears those words. Baruch HaBab When the leadership finally acknowledges him, um, the leadership that rejected him has to be the same leadership that accepts him. Makes sense. This is the way Yehovah does things. Right. Because look, uh, uh, this is all legal, right? We have to understand that this has to, it has to be legal. And if they, out of their own free will, said, we don't want him, okay? So that's where they stand. Now, if they finally say, we do want him, right? And as I was pointing out in Hosea chapter 5, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their offense and in their tribulation, they will seek my face earnestly, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So again, I'm not throwing Jews under the bus. I'm talking about the leadership in Jerusalem, the very ones who made the covenant with death and Sheol, right? As we read in Isaiah chapter 28, Mm -hmm. right? War to you scornful men who make a covenant with death and say we are in agreement with Sheol, they're going to be, have to be the same ones who will finally say, Baruch They're going to acknowledge who Yeshua is. And I, I tell you, as the armies of the world are marching against Jerusalem, they're going to be wondering, why hasn't Mashiach come? Hmm. Why hasn't he come? And in their own book, in the Talmud, in Sanhedrin 97, it, they, they calculated when Messiah should have come. Guess when that was? About 2,000 years ago. Huh. Right? And in a footnote in the Talmud, it says, he should have come about this time. Why didn't he? It was because of our sins that he didn't come. Right? So they're going to finally acknowledge, wait a second, there was a Messiah that came, and we should have accepted him. Right? So that's what it's going to take, unfortunately, uh, for, for them to understand that. But once they accept him, oh, it's going to be glorious. Yeah. And that's when Jesus is going to rip open the sky and come and save his people. Yep, repent, and then look up for your redemption draws nigh. So, exactly. Wow, very cool stuff. Now, the last part of your book, part three. Hybrids have won unless the ancient leaders call the Savior. So we've already talked about some of that. Yes. The, uh, the chief cornerstone. Uh, and we have a few min- minutes left. We're going to talk about more of this in a love gift. But uh, what else can you tell us about how this wraps up? How, do we, how does this all end? Right. Well, so, so when they finally acknowledge Yeshua, you know, in Zechariah 12, it says, I will pour out on the kingship of David and the population of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look to me, the one whom they've pierced. So they're not going to see him coming in the sky and say, oh, shoot, was that today? But rather, <laughs> and, and unfortunately, there was a, a mistranslation of the preposition el. El means to or toward. They're looking to him as a child looks to his, his, his parents to provide housing, to provide clothing, mm-hmm. not necessarily just looking with the eyes, but looking out of that heart and the intent of this person provides for me. 
So there's going to be a, they will be looking to Yeshua as the one who is going to save them, not just with their, not just in an ocular sense. And so he's going to come back. He's going to save his people. But here's the thing. Sometimes we have our, our end times charts or different <laughs> things. And it's just like, oh, Jesus comes back and saves the day. That's true. But there's a whole scenario that's going to go along with that, right? He doesn't just come, snap his fingers, and we're done. It's like when he, when he took the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, he could have just snapped his fingers and everyone disappears, but that's not how he decided to do it. He decided to work with, through Moses, who's a, kind of a type of, of, of Jesus, right? And then there's a process that they have to go through. People have to walk. They have to go through uh, the, the parting of the Red Sea. They've got to do all these things. And then you see the salvation. So there's very much a progression as Yeshua comes back that, that he's still going to fight in real time. And Satan is going to fight, right? He's not going down without a fight. He's going right. to try to win, right? So even though he's going to find himself in a trap, he's still going to fight to the very bitter end. Hmm. We're not given every detail. We, we, <laughs> we have to wait for some of the story. Otherwise, it's like reading the script before you go to the movie. You know, you're not, you're exactly. not going to have anything to, yeah. Right. Yes. Dr. Doug, thank you for joining us. Uh, we encourage everyone to get Dr. Doug's book. That is Corrupting the Image, Part 3. You can get this at douglashamp.com, right? Well, the PDF you can get there. Yes. Uh, the other two books, Corrupting the Image 1 and 2, are there in hard copy form. You can also get all three hard copies at Amazon using the information on the bottom of your screen. So Dr. Doug, would you come back and do some love gifts with us? I'd be glad to. I think that would be fun. We could really dive into uh, GOG in detail and maybe some other things. And of course, uh, maybe some little tidbits for the uh, michaelrood.tv app too. That'd be awesome. Okay, very good. Thank, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. All right, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for joining us for this series. I hope you've learned something. I have too. I hope your mind has been expanded or as it says on the front cover of the book, mind blown. <laughs> so my mind has been blown. Uh, but it sure opens up the opportunity to accept new ideas and to really understand what is going on here as we seek to understand the book of the Revelation. So again, thank you for joining us. We pray that you would join us again next week for Shabbat Night Live. Until then, Shavua Tov. Have a good week.